Good evening, everyone, and welcome. Delightful to be back on Target. And I'd like to start off by saying tonight's class is officially titled True Joy Part 2. But tonight we're going we're gonna to talk about how tonight we're going to talk about finding joy in sorrow. Finding joy even in tough times. And to start off by quoting the Gemara. The Gemara first starts with the Mishnah. The Mishnah in Tractate Brachot, chapter 9, page 54a. The Mishnah reads, we'll soon get to the Tanya, but I'd like to share three items outside. Again, I'm quoting the Mishnah from Tractate Brachot, 54a. The Mishnah reads, Chayav Adam Levarech al a person is obligated to bless on something bad exactly the same way he blesses something good. Let's repeat that again. A person must, must bless Hashem for the bad. We don't stop there. Very important. Exactly just like you bless Hashem on the good. Fascinating. Does anyone know how we know this? We know this. Go ahead. Didn't you just read that? I, I read you the Mishnah. <laughs> but how does the Mishnah know this? The Mishnah teaches us from the Shema. The Mishnah quotes the Shema, we say, at least twice a day. But before the Mishnah quotes the Shema, explaining it for our sake, first we're going to quote the Shema, give an explanation, and following the first, the second ex- explanation will lead to how we know we have to thank God for, for the bad, just like the good. Continues the Mishnah, and it says, Shinemar, as the Torah teaches us, We have to love the Lord our God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. So the, the Mishnah now goes to explain what is your heart that you need to serve God with, what is your soul you need to serve God, God with, and what is your might. When the, mission, when the Torah says you need to serve God with all your heart, it's very interesting, very uncommon to see in the Mishnah the word Yetzer Tov and Yetzer Hara, the good and bad inclination. Yet the Mishnah here says, that the word with all your heart what does that mean? it means you need to serve God with your good and bad inclination both of them when the Torah says when God tells us to serve Him with all our soul what does that mean? even if it's going to take your soul even if you need to be killed to serve God that's what Hashem is requiring from us the same as Similar, yes. Yes. With all your soul, even if you need to give up your soul. Continues the Mishnah and says, With all of your might, what does that mean? With all of your money. 
So let's translate this. We need to serve God with all of our heart is clear. Our good and bad inclination. With all our soul, even if it, we have to give up our soul. Uvchal me'odecha could mean we have to serve God with all our money. But now the mission is going to say a second translation of the word me'odecha. And before I tell you the second translation, I want to, I want to share that Hashem, Hashem has some, some ways of operation He's shared with us. Hashem is way above us. But there are certain methods of operation that He's shared with us. And one of them is that Hashem sh- shares with people midah keneged midah. The way you act, Hashem responds back appropriately. Midah keneged midah. Midah, let me see the way they translate the word midah here. Measure. They, whatever measure. Mida keneged mida, a measure for a measure. Is it a mida, an attribute? Yeah. Yes, correct, but it could also mean a measurement, literally. Mida could also mean a measurement. So the measurement that you use, God is going to respond and respond accordingly. So now, let's take the third word we say in the Shema. We can translate the word not to mean money, but to mean measure. With any measure that God may bring to you, you need to serve God. That's what the Mishnah continues. A second explanation how to understand serving God with all your might. means Whatever measure God meets out for you, whether it be good or bad, heavy modelo you are to thank Him. So let's put this together. From the Shema we learn we need to serve God with our good and evil inclination. We need to serve God even if we have to give up our soul. And we have to serve God in whatever measure Hashem brings us, whether good or bad. Is that related to Midot? Related to Midot. Related to the idea of the measurements. So, from here we know that you need to thank God for the bad, just like the good, from the Shema that we say daily. Let's now look at the... Gemara's interpretation on this quote comes the Gemara on 64, on 60v, and says, Chayiv Adam. Levarich, my Chayiv Levarich al Hara'ak, Shem Shem Levarich al Tova. The Gemara asks, What do you mean you need, to, you need to thank Hashem for the bad just like the good? What does that mean? It can't mean you need to say the same blessing because we have different blessings. For something good, what's the blessing you make if something tremendous has happened in your life? Shechianu. But even a greater blessing if it's shared with more than one person is Hatov HaMetiv. Hatov HaMetiv. When you have a baby boy, you say the blessing right at the when you hear the, the cry of the baby, Hatov HaMetiv. What blessing does God forbid someone make if something tragic happens? Dayan HaEmet, the true judge. There's a different blessing. So what does it mean when the Mishnah says you need, to, you need to thank God for the bad, just like the good asks the Mishnah? Amar Rava, Rava says, 
this mission is not necessary except to teach us Ella, rather, you need to accept something sad with joy. The same joy you accept something good. Now forgive me, I'm going to go on a little tangent, but I saw a beautiful note over here that I'd like to share. The Yad David, the commentator on the, Mish, on the Gemara, writes like this. There are thir- I'm going to quote. There are certain heretical groups of philosophers who claim that God created man for evil purposes, heaven forbid. The creation of man was an evil. Their proof is that most people experience more bad times than the good times. So obviously, God's intention in the world, they say, is for bad. Some go so far as to depict God as being vengeful and, vin- and vindictive, heaven forbid. Vindictive. Vindictive. Yet we, the community of Israel, continues the Yad David, believe- believers, the descendants of believers, maminim b'nei maminim, we say that no evil emanates from God at all, <coughs> rather everything is a benefit in some way. However, when a person confronts a calamity, he does not know what possible good can come of it. You're going through a terrible time, it's impossible at that moment to even conceive, and perhaps later it's still impossible to find good in it. He therefore judges it to be unredeemable evil. And he may, he may be wont to have complaints against God, like the groups mentioned above. But in hindsight, a person himself can often see the benefits of a presumed evil. And even if he cannot, nevertheless it is clear that every misfortune is a hidden good. Therefore, one must accept negative occurrences with joy, just as he accepts the favorable ones, to demonstrate his stout faith in God that no evil will emanate from the mouth of the Supreme One. Rather, God is good and does good and all is for the good. Let's put the, the Gemara together. What did we share? We shared that everything that comes from God is good and therefore we need to thank God for the, for the bad just like the good. Any questions so far? Only questions, huh? Okay, let's now quote a second Gemara on this topic of accepting the bad just like the good. Please. Is, is it really bad or is it just our perceived bad because we, it's hidden? Exactly. <laughs> exactly, it's really good. Nothing bad comes from God. We perceive it as bad, but nothing bad can come from, can come from Hashem. Let's quote the Gemara, a second Gemara in Yoma, 23a. The Gemara says, there are three people that have a tremendous reward, and we'll share the reward in a second. Who are the three people? Hane'elavim ve'enan olvin, those who are insulted, but do not insult others in revenge. Such a person who they receive insult, but will not respond back, that's a tremendous quality. Number two, the second person is, Shomin Kharpasan ve'enon mishivin, very similar, but who hears themselves being reproached without replying. And num- number three is, and the third person is, 
Someone who performs good work out of love of the Lord and rejoices in their suffering. Someone who rejoices, that's the third type of person. And regarding these three people, we learn, Alei and Akasav Omer, the, Gemara, the, the Torah tells us, of people that love God, will see when the sun comes out in its might. When will the sun come out in its ultimate might? With no shield covering it? In the times of Mashiach, when there will be nothing stopping us from having pure godliness? At that time, who is going to have, be able to truly receive this energy? Let's take the third category. Someone who rejoices in the bad. Let's repeat this again. Who is going to get this ultimate quality of seeing the sun? The sun is the reference to godliness. Light. Who is going to be able to really appreciate the ultimate light of God? Someone who rejoices even in the bad. So now I'd like to ask you three questions on this, mish, on this Gemara. Number one. What's special about someone who rejoices in the bad so much that they get such a reward? Number two is, what is this reward? And number three is, didn't we just discuss that God does everything measure for measure? What's the measure for measure here? What's the, if you rejoice in the bad, I'm going to give you good energy. What's the measure for measure here? We need to rejoice. We've learned so far. Let's recap. We need to rejoice in the bad just like the good. Someone who rejoices in the bad is going to be able to see the ultimate revelation of Hashem. And this led us now to three questions of what is rejoicing in bad? Why are you getting this revelation? And how is it measure for measure? Any questions? Please. Oh. This, is, this is a linguistic question. Please. And it has to do with, you say rejoice in the bad. You're not actually rejoicing about the bad, but you're experiencing the bad and still in a rejoiceful, in a rejoy, in a joyful state. In a joyful state. So, so you're not actually thanking God for the bad as much as saying, okay, this is the way it is and I am accepting it and being and still enjoying and praising God even though I'm suffering. Thanks for the question. Let me let me try and answer that question. Great question. We never ask God for to try, to give us a trial to tr to test us. We never ask God for something bad. And let me share with you a prayer we say every single morning that really stresses this point. We every morning and, and throughout the prayer, in many places, we ask God not to test us. Sure. I want to read quickly a, a paragraph to you. May it be your will. So this is a prayer said immediately following the 15 morning blessings we say every morning, thanking God for letting us stand up, for giving us the power of sight, being able to bend our knees, lie down, set giving us clothing, etc. Immediately after that, we say the following paragraph. May it be your will, Lord our God and the God of our fathers, that you should make us accustomed to learning your Torah, and that you should make us cleave to your commandments. Now, here it goes. 
do not bring us to commit an unintentional sin, nor to commit any other type of transgression or intentional sin. Do not even bring us to a temptation of sin, or cause us to be embarrassed by other people. Etc. So we're clearly asking God not to test us. We do not want something sad to happen. Yet, when something sad happens, how do, what is our response to that? Our response, what we're learning now in the Gemara, is not only that I'm going to allow this to happen and not be sad. I'm actually going to say that I am so lucky to have this trial. It's a high level, and I hope none of us ever have to experience this. But should someone be experiencing something tough, the ultimate, the ultimate level, they're allowed, to, they're allowed to complain and be upset. But the ultimate level will be that for them to, to actually appreciate what's happening. To thank God and say, I, I am happy for my lot and where I am. Did that address? Yes, David. I would respectfully request that you make a point of correcting me if I'm wrong, but what I have gleaned from my studies and since this whole endeavor started with the reference to the Benoni, that one can do this sincerely, being a Benoni and progressing toward a tzaddik is extremely important, not only from an individual standpoint, but thereby one sets an example. And that is a radiating effect that is very important and an essential part of Judaism. But what we have not raised is a statement that comes up on a regular basis. Don't do it because you expect reward. The reward will be in the, uh, in the kingdom to come. Yeah, we learn in Pirkei Avot not to serve God for reward. Yeah, thank you, David. But there will be an accounting. And yes. You, there will be an accounting and you can count on it. And if you expect anything, <laughs> that's where it'll be. Correct. Correct. Maybe. Thank you. Uh, Gar- uh, sorry, I just Garrison and then Dr. Yosef. Yes. Uh, oh, just w- one thought. You said you should ex- you should embrace even the difficulty, but aren't aren't you also supposed to ask um, what what lesson Hashem is trying to provide if you have a difficulty? Because because if you said you said yourself, God isn't there necessarily to test us, but to kind of give us a warning, and if we don't heed the warning, then maybe the warning will get more severe. Or is that a different category? You know, Gershon, you're asking a, a tough question. And let me, let me try and repeat it back. The question is, when something sad befalls us, should we try and, so to say, understand why it's happening and take responsibility, say, perhaps I committed a sin and that's why this is happening? Is that, is that correct? Well, I like to. I've always learned that it was. What could I? What could I do differently in the future to uh, to kind of change that situation? I want to ask you a direct question. It's a yes or no. Having such thoughts is that going to bring to? Is that going to help your service of God, or will it hinder your service of God? Well, actually, it's not a yes or no. It's an open-ended question. Uh, actually, it could go either way. However, it, it, it often it is helpful because if you if you have that thought, then you 
And you have something to think about rather than your misfortune. And you go, well, I don't know, maybe you had some serious financial loss or anything. Well, maybe I haven't given enough tzedakah recently or something. And maybe that's not true. But it makes you switch from being kind of a victim mentality to how can I be a better person. So I guess in some ways it does strengthen my, my view of God. Now that's an interesting perspective. I will tell you generally Hasidus teaches us that there is a time to, to try and think things through. Perhaps try and understand why things are happening. But as a whole we're taught we shouldn't really we shouldn't spend too much time on this because it brings a very limited amount of gain. Rather what we have to do is we have to be happy, make a, make, you know, try and do what we can going ahead. But most importantly, and let me share this. There's a there's a halacha that you should cut your nails carefully, and after you cut your nails, you should burn them. Why should you burn them? Because the Gemara teaches us that, God forbid, if a pregnant woman passes over nails, it could cause a miscarriage. Now, does... So I'll tell you what happened with me. I was, I just gotten married, and now I'm all nervous. I'm, I'm a, a nervous wreck. I'm like, maybe I, maybe I have to go to Mark's house when I cut my nails, not to be hung. <laughs> so I went, to my, I went to my teacher, and I asked him this question. I said, like, what's the message here? You know, what's... And he told me something very important, and we actually, we, you learned this many times in Halacha. Hashem has a plan... You have to try your best, and your best is what Hashem is looking for. Now make sure it's your best. Sometimes you'll convince yourself that your best is really... But you have to do your best. What if your best is like, your best for the moment? I mean, you know that it's not your best. Well, if it, at, at, at the... the same, yeah. But at the same time, maybe at that moment, it's the best that you can do. Even though it's not... You know what I'm trying to say? So, I, I want to say about such a question, I don't think I could answer that open-ended. The question sounds like it's a, it's a case-by-case question. But if it's your best at the moment, that's your best. You know, I just... I, did, did that answer the question? Um, Let me actually say, I don't think I could answer your question. I think it would have to be... I'd have to better understand the specific scenarios before I could answer that. I wasn't asking what your specific scenario right. behind. I was just thinking about something where you're, you know, saying that Hashem expects you, or you should expect your best, but maybe there are times that, you know, if, if you're going through something that is so horrible, that is so traumatic, I would imagine that even as you do what somebody else or you may think is your best, on some level everybody knows that, that you can do better than that. But because you are in such a state of whatever it is, that that is the best that you can give. Uh, now I, I understand, that, yes. Confusing. Yeah. But I mean, I, I know what I'm trying to say, I just maybe I'm not saying it right. I think you said clear. 
Yeah, I think you've been clear that Hashem is looking at a person at that moment. There's actually a clear Gemara about that. that you know, we don't judge someone for the future. For, we're judging you, yes. So that would make sense. You're best at the moment. So to just clearly go back to Gershon's question, we should always, with one more, one more story, the Rebbe was very consciously, whenever people would say, I sinned, this happened, etc., the Rebbe would always tell them, look at the future. Don't worry about the past. In future, previous generations, there was a time that they would dwell on what had happened and really cry about it, etc. That's not for us today. Today we have to make a conscious decision to move ahead, etc. And the same thing, if God forbid something tragic happens to us, we shouldn't try to spend time dwelling on why it's happened to us, has something, you know. We should try to find happiness within it and move ahead. Sorry, Dr. Yosef, and then we'll continue, yes. Can I just inject a little something? Because taking what he's saying from a different point of view, if I eat something or drink something that gives me a stomach ache, and I do it two or three times, and it's always the same thing, then I'm learning something by thinking about it and saying, okay, what is the lesson that I need to learn here? Every time I drink or eat this particular food, I'm going to be sick, so I better not do it again in the future. And I think that's sort of, you know, by asking the question, sometimes we do get a learning that comes in so that our future can be better. And let me just say about that, that of, of course, Yom Kippur, there are times that are set aside for us to focus on what has happened and try and understand. But as a whole, as a motto of operation, that's not appropriate to, to dwell on it. But certainly, there are specific set times. Some people do it every night. Some people do it before Rosh Chodesh, um, that they'll kind of try and figure it out. But that's what I wanted to differentiate between the method of operation, which should be positive and forward-thinking, to you know, setting aside those set times to have those conversations with yourself. Make it short. Yeah. I think we need to remember, and this has been emphasized from the studies I've run across, how many times in the every service it says that Hashem is a God of loving kindness and forgiveness, and that He is a supernal, and they use that word, being. So we have to bring Him down to uh, human terms to understand. But God's not there with a very fine, sharp knife slicing it thin. Uh, and if he is indeed everything the sitter says he is, then he knows what's going on, and we have to leave it to him to make the judgment and sit back and do our best at that time. Thank you, David. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Yosef. Well, I'm just going to make a distinction and try to make a distinction between resignation and um, acceptance and trying to do your best in a bad situation and actually being joyful, okay. Now, I, I have a friend, and this would maybe be the best example I can think of. Um, his wife uh, has multiple sclerosis, and she suffered with that for years and years and years. And he is great. I mean, he's, he's probably at a far higher level than I would ever be. Um, and he's never bitter. I mean, I, when I've seen him, he's, he's never bitter. So, so he, he does, with that situation, he is, he's doing it 
I think is 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 best as you know somebody is 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 as well as anybody could. I, I don't I don't know, but but to ask him to actually be be happy about it. I mean I I've never asked him that, uh, but that's that's asking an awful lot. I mean you have to be a you know I mean an exceptional level to be happy about it. So he. Hmm. Agreed. Yeah. I'm, I'm not, I 100% agree with you that it's, you're asking, in a sense, the impossible for someone to be really happy. <clears throat> but together, well, let's, let's, let's take the idea, we haven't even discussed yet the thought process that maybe could bring us happiness. We're going to start that conversation over the next 10 minutes, and we'll, we'll, we'll spend more more class on it. Just to be clear at this time, I see we're going to talk outside this week and we'll, um, one of the following weeks, learn this inside. Let's, let's share another thought. Kabbalah teaches us there's something called Alma de Scassia and Alma de Scalia. There's something called the revealed world and the concealed world. Let me check in the glossary if there's a, an explanation to this before I... Jump in. Um. Yeah, I don't think so. What are the terms in Hebrew? Alma de Iscalia and Alma de Iscasia. Oh, it's here. Okay. How about, if you'd like to join me, and then we'll do a little explanation outside. In your glossary on page A120. On page A120, so that's going to be at the back of the book. You're going to go backwards. So A53, we're looking for A120. From the... <laughs> yeah. A one hundred and twenty. That's the first page of the glossary. You want to? You want fourth one down? Fourth. Yeah. Alma. Uh, Doctor Yosef, the opposite end. From the opposite end. A one twenty. So what do you do with your hands? Oh. I haven't seen any laying around my house. <laughs> Uh, you know, Baruch, you want to share with Dr. Yosef? Alma di Skasia and Alma di Skalia. Concealed worlds and revealed worlds. Tikkun Zohar speaks of the concealed and revealed worlds. The concealed are those united with him having no existence apart from him. So generally we say concealed world, it may sound secondary, but the truth is that's the ultimate. Concealed. An, an analogy is a fish of the sea who cannot exist without, exist outside their element. So a concealed world means that you're completely united with God and there's no other existence. Mm. So your existence is concealed. Like fish. That in a sense, the fish don't have their own existence. You see how they must have the water. They're not an independent. The revealed world where we think, where existence of our, appear to exist independently of the Creator. 
So let's repeat this so far. There's a, a concealed world where everything is united with God. There's a revealed world where there appears to be in the separate existence, separated from God. Of the four letters of the divine name, Havaya, the divine name that is spelled with a Yud, then a He, then a Vav, then a He, the Yud and He indicate intellect, which is internal, united with the thinker. Hence, these letters are related to the concealed worlds. The concealed world, the higher world, where everything is united with God, come from the first two letters of the divine name, the Yud and the He. The Vav and the latter He are the extension of the process initiated in the first letter. They relate to speech, separateness, revealed worlds. Let's try and summarize this idea. There is Alma Discalia, there is a revealed world, and Alma Discasia, concealed world. There is, there is an exist, there is a place where everything is clearly one with God. There is no other existence. That is, a con- that is the concealed world. Everything, it's con- the, the other existences are non-existent. There's only God. Then you have the revealed world. Everyone feels like an independent. That would be our world here. God's name has four letters. The first two, the greater two letters, are the source of the concealed world which is greater. And the latter two, the last two, are the source of the revealed world because they are further from God. Should I repeat it again? Sure. Yes. Sure. Let's repeat it again. Let me see. Does anyone have a spare piece of paper? Okay. Thank you. Awesome. Fantastic. Yod. Okay, forgive my handwriting, but, and I don't want this paper to be holy. So because I wrote God's name, I put a dash between each letter to separate them. So now we don't have God's name, they're separate letters. But God's name is four letters. Yud, then a He, then a Vav, then a He. The first two are closer to God. And they are the source of the, of the concealed world. The Yud and the He are closer to God, and they are the source of the concealed world. The second two are further from God, the Vav and the He, and they are the source of the revealed world. And now, and now let's open our Tanya to page 114. Let's open our Tanya to page 114. The left-hand column. I just want to show you, show you a verse. Chapter 26. Page 114, left-hand column. Third to last line. Let's repeat it again. Chapter 26, page 114. Left column, third to last line. Fortunate is the man. 
Do we have it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. This is a verse from Tehillim. And I want to, if you can, I'd like to show it to you. If you hold your finger in English, I'd also like to show you the Hebrew because that's really important for our conversation. Oh, actually, it's, it's not important. We'll have a footnote. The verse says, Fortune is, is the man whom you chastise, O Lord. Fortunate is the man, lucky is the man, whom Hashem brings hardships on. Now, the verse does not say Hashem. The verse says who... Which man is lucky? The man who... Let's see footnote number 10. The name of the Lord is spelled here. What's the next two letters? Yud and then a... Hey. It says, Fortunate is the man who... Who brings trial and tribulations? The Yud and the Hey. Meaning, when your trials are coming from the concealed world, which is connected with the first two letters of God's name, then, you're, then you are lucky. Are those two letters something you don't pronounce and use a euphemism for? The, the two letters, Yud and then He, actually are a name of God itself, Ka. That itself, I'm, I'm pronouncing it in a, not the correct way, but those two letters itself are a name of God. So it's the same as the tetragrammaton in the term. No, the it's separate. But nonetheless, it's the name of God itself. Yeah. But so fortunate is Fortunate is a man whom God, the Yud and the Hey, brings trials and tribulations. Why? Because the world of concealment is a world we can't understand. The world of concealment is a world that the, we humans will never understand. So if someone is going through a tough time, but they know that the truth is this tough time, not only isn't it a negative thing, but it's coming from the greatest love of God, higher than revelation, then in the sadness itself they will experience happiness. This is a very deep level, and I bless everyone. You should never need to come to this thought. But let's share the thought again. And again, this is just the beginning. We're going to talk about this at great length in Tanya. But I want to share the point, and this will summarize the class. And I'll leave you with a lot of questions, and you may be upset, but that's okay. Well, well for tonight. We'll, we'll get, let's try and put it all together. We started off saying... We have to thank God for the bad just like the good. In other words, the bad itself is good. How could that be? And that's how we, why we went on to explain that there is a concealed world and a revealed world. There is a world which is much higher than our understanding. When people tell me, I don't understand God, I tell them, you're lucky, you're just a human. Uh-huh. You're, not, you're not supposed to understand God. What do you mean, when someone says, I don't understand God, what's your question? Why, since when are you supposed to understand God? If you're going through something tough, something that you don't understand, that is coming from a higher level of godliness than something you do understand. 
something we don't understand comes from a greater level of godliness than something we do understand. The fact that we understand it is already a limitation within it. Well, because, because whatever is happening in the hidden world is presumably more concerned with our soul, not with our, uh, our bodies, correct? No. God is looking out for the best for us physically and spiritually equally. God loves us and cares for us like a father to, to a son. And the father to the son is not only worried about the, the child's soul. Correct. <clears throat> so not only can we find some good in the bad, we're actually learning that the bad itself is good. You know, it scares me to have these conversations because it's scary. It's like we, you never, God forbid, want to come to such a state. But this is what the Torah is teaching us. That the bad itself is from a greater level of good, a greater level of God, than revealed good. And that is why we say in Tehillim, David HaMelech teaches us, Ashrei HaGever, lucky is the man. How fortunate is the man, that God brings trials and tribulations too. Is this what happened to the rabbi who, in meditation and fervent prayer, ascended and ceased to exist? I think of Jim Kippur with that story came about. That Tzadik, uh, he, he literally ceased to, ascended and ceased to be, to, to I'm not sure. You know, There's a few uh, stories similar to that. I'm not sure which one you're referring to. Okay. Yeah. Was that he, he entered into that hidden world right. and then right. ceased to be mortal. Yeah, there, there are such stories. Okay. Yeah. I'm scared to ask, does anyone have any questions? But I'll, I'll, I'll try, I'll try, I'll try. We're going to conclude here for this week. We have not looked inside, and I will tell you, the words of the Tanya are holier and will explain it that 1,000 times better than I can. So uh, let's not, we haven't even started the, ex we, we've started the explanation, but look at when we learn it inside, it will probably become much more clear to everyone. But nonetheless, I'll try to ask if there's any questions that we could try and answer. <laughs> Either I stumped you or you stumped me, one of the two, but... <laughs> Uh, Somebody's. The question <laughs> wouldn't stop. So yeah. Why stop? Thank you very much. <laughs>